to the latest edition of the Woke Bros. I'm your host, Big Waz, joined as always by Michael Jabal Brooks and our brother Nando Vila. Uh, just wanna just wanna remind you guys about the Count the Dings live show in New York City on March 28th at the Bell House in Brooklyn. Get your tickets at CountTheDings.com. Mike, you just had a TMBS live show and I heard it was cracking. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Dollhouse is an amazing venue, man. And uh, I just, I feel like we're really, we've got our loyal core, um, but we're definitely growing out. And you can tell out by the people who are showing up. It's amazing, man. Like just one example, one guy told me um, that his, you know, his family's from Haiti. He's American, but his dad uh, immigrated directly. He started showing his dad the segments we did on Haiti, and his dad loved it, made him feel connected back home. When you hear stuff like that, I mean, that really is just like— That's the point of all of this. That's like the point of all of it. Exactly, exactly. So it was moving, man. We had amazing guests, uh, and I just feel like we just keep taking it to a totally different level. And also that's why I'm really excited to, you know, be at Count the Dings and— Waz and Nando both did LA with us, but I do feel like those live shows. I, I would, only, I wish I could do a couple of months to be honest. It just, it just is a different experience. I think it's really meaningful, you know. Yeah, absolutely. You can feed off the crowd, the energy of the crowd. I mean, it's it's amazing. Yeah, and that's the coolest thing because I always tell people like sometimes it can feel like you're just speaking into the void, right? It's like. You know, it's like, what's the point of all of this, right? And then yeah. you have a live show and you actually get to interact with people who is connecting with the work that you do. So it's yeah. the most gratifying shit. So that's awesome. I'm happy you guys were able to bust it open in, in Brooklyn. Yeah, no, and Mike, like when I when I did your live show, um, you know, this this I, I mean this with no disrespect. I was like, you know, Mike does this like really smart, uh, socialist, intensely theoretical, uh, you know, theory based <laughs> show that's also a lot of fun, but you know, it's not like. Um, and I was like, I mean, I wonder how many people are going to show up to, you know, a, a show of his <laughs> in L.A. And I, I show up a couple hours early and there's a line down the block. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> is this, like, what the, like, this is this is insane. Like, it's it was really it was really amazing. No, dude, it's I mean, I feel like that. Uh, the I feel like that's the goal to me is is that even when we hit stuff, because everybody has things that they don't know. All like by definition, there's we don't know most shit, all of us, right? And so my test has always been is to make it funny and entertaining as possible, which I hope it is, and that is really important. But then also to be like, you know, if we're talking about something that you might not know about, here's why it's relevant for you to know, and you can learn about it because we trust the audience, just like on this show. You know what I mean? Not some like attitude or or like oh it's part of being in a secret club or whatever it's just like no this actually is relevant to your life and we're going to present it in a way that's real and accessible and so people respond to that and also at the live shows we definitely probably you know we we whatever small filter i have during a regular show is gone so yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the real, the real yeah. uncut shit. Definitely much closer to all of us hanging out off mic in terms yeah. of the shit that people are saying. You can see us, by the way, April third, TMBS going to Austin, Texas, with Anna Kasparian and Abby Martin, and I'm really excited for the three of us to that's do a, a superstar show. lineup. 
man. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. So, yes, obviously we're going to talk about the Oscars were last night, and, you know, it's rare that they ever get culture right, but they managed to do it last night. Um, We're going to talk about uh, Bong Joon-ho and his his big win last night. But first, of course, we got to tackle Iowa. Um, The most confusing thing ever is this damn caucus system. Um, so what were you taking your takeaway coming out of it, Mike? Uh, my takeaway coming out of Iowa is that, well, first and foremost, Bernie Sanders won. Yes. <laughs> won 6,000 more votes. And I, and to me, like, this is very specific because people like us on the left have been making this point for a long time about needing to get rid of the electoral college and all this other bullshit. But you have had a party that honestly... Hillary Clinton, when she first, when people first said after the Trump-Clinton election that Hillary Clinton got three million more votes than him, that was an important point to to emphasize to the country and really say yeah. we don't have a majority for this Trump administration. That was important. But by the time we got to 2018, people in the Democratic Party were using that talking point to evade responsibility for how catastrophically they fucked up. Then you fast forward to Iowa, and you basically have a hustle to try to pretend that Pete won, even though he lost, by, among other things, by literally, by, among other things, disenfranchising people's votes. So, you know, I've always, look, I mean, clearly, I think, you know, I have a bigger critique of some of the woke stuff, which really is on, like, its own terms. But we've seen just even regardless, like, even if you, like, the woman who uh, – one of the co-creators of the Kombiki River Collective endorsed Bernie, right? She's one of the founding authors of like actual identity politics thinking, right? Which again, that's a separate debate you want to have. But she endorsed Bernie and she was like, yeah, like I don't know what you thought we were talking about. Like, <laughs> we were talking about like the specifics of black women dealing with specific types of intersections of oppression. But we wanted justice for everybody. Like – this wasn't just like, no, we'll only talk. Like, of course it's not. <laughs> so Bernie, obviously, is to watch people who've been running around in the most embarrassing way on social media and on cable for years with like, you know, hashtag listen to, you know, black women. And, and by the way, like often very unintentionally, in my view, actually racist and paternalistic and green mile sorts of ways. Mm. They're turning around and they're putting their shoulders behind somebody who has a racist policing record who the only way you can pretend and cobble together this notion of Iowa is by excluding people's votes. And by, and the last thing I'll say too, is like, I'm not going to dismiss so-called conspiracy theories, right? Like I don't, there was an app that didn't need to be there. It fucked everything up. And do we have any doubt that if there was a big fuck up, but Pete Buttigieg was 6,000 votes ahead of Bernie Sanders or Joe Biden was 6,000 votes ahead of Bernie Sanders, that everybody in the media and the state party would have been like, well, we've got some technical stuff to figure out. But the big story is that Bernie lost. We all know yeah. what it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I'll continue what you're talking about in your last point about conspiracy theories. I mean, it's 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 just it makes, makes you go crazy when you see things like the fact that a paid – Mayor Pete, uh, organizer, canvasser, uh, uh, part of his campaign team, member, a paid member of his campaign team, is now the director of the uh, projected election results 
uh, integrity unit or some shit like that um, in Nevada, which is the next oh. caucus state. And it's, I mean, to, to imagine that for a, a Bernie person is literally unimaginable, right? Like it's unimaginable for the uh, the Democratic Party to hire a former paid Bernie staffer to run its election counting, right? I mean, um, it just, you know, you you can't, you can't go down that rabbit hole of conspiracy too too much because it's paralyzing in in many ways to a lot of people. Like, you know, because if you if you believe that everything is constantly rigged against you, then then you can't. There's nothing to be done. But there's also you also just can't dis- discount what's obviously going out r- right in front of our eyes. Uh, that and it's and and you can't discount also the history of the state apparatus in the United States combating the left <laughs> for decades. And at the time they seem conspiratorial and nuts. And then decades later, they're, they're always vindicated. So, um, it's something to be vigilant about. You know, you, it, it means that you have to redouble your efforts. If you do want any sort of progress is that you have to get over these structures. And I think that right now, Bernie, uh, represents a existential threat to the power structures that run the Democratic Party. The the good thing is that they're so used to uh, their dominant position for so long that they've almost gotten complacent. And they can't even rig it in the right way. Um, They can't even do it uh, you know, in, in the way that actually prevents him from taking over the party, because if he takes over the party, I mean, he has to fire all these people, Like he has to fire everyone who run like immediately on day one, because if not, they're going to undermine him at every step of the way. Um, so, you know, I, at the end of the day, I, I, I went through after that whole Iowa debacle, I, I, I went through like a pretty dark period where I was like, man, this, it's just crazy how much they're, they're doing this. But I've since come out in a, in a more, uh, powerful position because I've realized what it's done in a way is that it's vindicated Bernie's narrative for so long. It's proven him right that the decks are stacked against the left, um, in many ways. And it's not this, that he lost fair and square in 2016 and, you know, blah, 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 you know, that, that really, that they did put their thumb on the scales. Um, and P and I think people are realizing that just like the level of incompetence, um, and, uh, and, and just malfeasance of the democratic party and even in handling something as simple as an election in a small state with under 200,000 people voting. Um, you know, that, that was a very clarifying moment for a lot of people. I think that, that, shows just how deep the rot is and now we gotta win in new hampshire no uh the, the idea that the slippery slimy mayor pete would be involved in some type of chicanery or rat fuckery is you know <laughs> the sky is blue right water is wet that doesn't surprise me one bit um you know this is this has kind of been their strategy they put all of their ducks excuse me they put all their eggs in a, in this in the iowa basket spent a ton of money there um, the the establishment lined up behind him, and he's got the money behind him too. Uh, the money sector of the Democratic Party has kind of figured out, like, um, I don't think this Biden thing is going to last for much long. And to me, that was the biggest takeaway out of Iowa, is Joe Biden is kind of dead in the water. And you saw that uh, the next day when he went out of his way to attack Mayor Pete because he's seeing that, like, everybody who's leaving his boat is hopping on Mayor Pete's boat. Uh, and Biden is, he's sinking fast. Uh, so, you know, to me, that was the biggest um, the biggest takeaway. Obviously, Bernie won. Um, I thought, I, I love that he said, where I'm from, if you get the most votes, that means you won. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which is yeah. just classic Bernie, just, you know, just plain talk. Um, 
but yeah, he's looking good for New Hampshire. Um, and and when you did, uh, when when the exit poll and data came out, Bernie was the one winning working class Hispanics, working class blacks, you know, <laughs> such that it might be in a place like Iowa. But you get the point. Like he's got the most diverse coalition right now, um, and his coalition is the most representative of the party as a whole. And I think to me, that's what I took away. Um, I, you know, obviously the polling before show Bernie as being the favorite to win. So it was it's hard to win that, right? Like everybody expects you to win and you come out and you win. That's not a fun story. That's not going to drive narrative on CNN mm-hmm. and MSNBC and those things. Um but you know, I think the campaign should be proud of what they did in Iowa. They're sitting pretty in New Hampshire, and I think in places like Nevada and other places that are again, more representative of the party's coalition, i.e. less white. Uh, I think Bernie's sitting good right now, man. And the bet, the betting markets love him right now. Um, he's at forty percent to win um, the nomination right now, which is way more than anybody else. So I think I think the campaign is looking good, and they should be happy. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll just add to that. Uh, Joe Biden's ad he put out on Pete Buttigieg is my favorite ad of the campaign cycle. He murdered him. Um, it was so fucking well deserved. And correct. I mean, honestly, it's just correct. Both Vice President Biden and former Mayor Pete have helped shape our economy. Joe Biden helped save the auto industry, which revitalized the economy of the Midwest and led the passage and implementation of the Recovery Act, saving our economy from a depression. Pete Buttigieg revitalized the sidewalks of downtown South Bend by laying out decorative brick. And both Biden and Buttigieg have made hard decisions. Despite pressure from the NRA, Jill Biden passed the assault weapons ban through Congress. Then he passed the Violence Against Women Act. And even when public pressure mounted against him, former Mayor Pete fired the first African-American police chief of South Bend. And then he forced out the African-American fire chief, too. We're electing a president. What you've done matters. I don't know if everybody saw the ad, but I'll say real quick, they just did like a great... You know, essentially a compare and contrast of, you know, Joe Biden and whatever. I'll save my criticisms for another day. But, you know, Joe Biden was involved in tough fights like, you know, the ACA, the Iran deal. You know, Pete was, too. He helped install decorative lights and like the downtown <laughs> bike path. You know, like, and then and then um, what was great. And then they, you know, and they cut in between this very like, you know, kind of like high intensity, like 90s Harrison Ford thriller music for Biden. And then this kind of like silly, slightly like bunkinish music for Pete until the end where all of a sudden they're like, except actually Pete did fight. He fight he fought to hi- fire a black police chief and <laughs> muscle out um, the fire. The chief of the fire department was black as well. And I thought that was actually really like, Honestly, if, you know, look, if Pete was actually cool and he wasn't just like this hollow corporate void, I wouldn't be like, I'm kind of like, whatever, fuck people's resumes. Like, I hope Nina Turner is Bernie's VP. Like, I don't care that she doesn't have federal level elected office. However, the thing with Pete is that he is just a pure corporate void. He's got nothing. And his whole argument is that he wins the Midwest, which is just fraudulent. Like, he's never won a statewide race. He's the mayor of a little college town. 
And while being mayor of a place that in the grand scheme of things, he has not had to deal with such serious problems, he has actually managed to be involved in a deeply racist, de like, you know, all police departments have racism and classism, et cetera, no question. But if you go to like an analogous place like Amherst, Massachusetts, of course you will find, you know, police racism profiling cases, but you, but no one's been killed by a member of the Amherst PD, I think for decades, you know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. like no one has, no one is, you know, they haven't drawn a gun and killed a black man. There hasn't been suspicious death. Like in South Bend, there wasn't a cabal of white officers that worked with town leadership, apparently to muscle out a black police chief. That all happened in this little rinky dink town that he ran. Yeah, so, you know, the, fuck the, him. The, and he suppressed a tape of white cops saying yes. uh, on tape, uh, now the now the white guys are going to be back in charge, um, which is just like the most chilling thing ever. I think in a way, this little mini Pete surge and his like, you know, his, his strong performance in Iowa uh, in a way is going to have a very positive long term effects, because had Biden been a strong second in Iowa, like, say, close to Bernie or whatever, you know, I could see the establishment kind of lining up behind him and just kind of muscling him through to the end. But because it's Pete, a guy who they all patently loathe. I mean, like they, I mean, Amy Klobuchar in the debate could barely contain her seething hatred of this man. <laughs> you know, like she has like that Midwestern polite rage, you know, like right under the surface, just absolutely hated him and went right after him. And then the day after Biden comes out with this like unbelievably negative ad, maybe the most <laughs> negative ad we've seen the whole primary so far because yeah. the he's he's definitely thinking like this little snot-nosed piece of shit who's gotten 8000 <laughs> votes in his entire life like is going to talk to me about what you know like I'm the fucking vice president like this, I know, it, but they, what's crazy is like I, I mean maybe this is me being like a fucking normie and not a cool socialist but it's like he's right yeah uh, by that metric, like, and she's right too. Yeah, Amy yeah. Klobuchar is fucking horrible. She's horrible, but she's saying like, yeah, I can win the Midwest. And my proof is that I've run statewide Senate races in Minnesota. Like, what the fuck are you talking about, you little prick? Yeah, you know, Pete, Pete <laughs> is, is running for president precisely because he can, he knows he cannot win statewide uh, in Iowa. That's exactly why, like, you know, where he's from, he, or sorry, in Indiana, where he's from, he cannot become governor of Indiana. He cannot win the Senate in Indiana. They would never vote for him there because when he did run for like, what was it like Lieutenant state governor or state, state, state comptroller or something, what was it? Yeah. Something. Yeah. And he got crushed because they're not going to, they're not going to nominate like this, like academic, like son of an academic, you know, uh, liberal little snot nosed rat face. That's just not, I mean, like, that's my political analysis. That's my sophisticated political analysis. The India is not going to vote for that man ever. And, and you my know? thing with Pete is like, what is the appeal? Like, what's he selling me? I think it's, I think, I think what you're seeing is um, throughout this entire race, you've seen a, a, a very clear dynamic in which that Bernie's support has been quite steady. It's been, you know, he's had a floor of about 15% and he's expanded it to about, it seems about 25% to maybe 30% depending on, on the polls. Um, 
everyone else is just kind of shopping for candidates. No one really loves any of them. Um, they don't really care about any of them too much. Um, and each one kind of has their little mini surge here and there and they go up and they go back down and they go up and they go back down because they're, you know, most of them are just fundamentally empty vessels who voters project whatever they want on them. And Pete is the emptiest of all. Uh, so I, I think you're just seeing like, it's just what you've been seeing the, 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 the entire race. It's like the, his support isn't real. Like you can see him going back down to 4% in a month. You know what I mean? Like, it's not that it, no one's like a diehard Pete supporter. There's probably like a few psychopaths out there, but not nothing like too <laughs> solid. Um, the way Bernie has, which is, right. it's, which, it's the same exact dynamic in uh, that happened in 2016 with the Republican primary. I mean, Trump had his core support that he went sort of steadily growing and then everyone else just kind of went up and down. I mean, um, who was it? Ted Cruz won the Iowa caucus, uh, in, in 2016, you know, and, uh, and, and Jeb Bush had the most money and the most establishment support. And he, and he, face planted. So you're seeing, it's almost like the exact same dynamic as 2016 with very, very little differences. Marco Rubio was the Michael Brooks pick. I mean, excuse me, David Brooks. I don't know. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> whoa. Whoa, man. Whoa. <laughs> wow. Mike, I mean, that is, I mean, I, you know, that's, that's, that's that is just, literally <laughs> fake news. That's, that's, <laughs> you know. No, you know, you know, I just, the last thing I'd say about it was though, maybe I, I want to hear your thoughts both on this specifically before we move on. I think that that dynamic Nando outlined is true. And I also think that there is, you know, this is where the way in which the Democratic Party is absolutely not one party gets really practical. And the Republican Party isn't one party necessarily, but it's much more synchronized. It's definitely like an agreement between oligarchs and various religious and white identity constituencies, you know. But the Democratic Party has real profound found differences. And the biggest difference, obviously, is between, at the end of the day, a base that is actually made up of poor working class people, right? And and people of color and, and, and all of that. And a donor class that is filled with, you know, vultures from Wall Street and Silicon Valley. But there's also this other element that's really been getting clear in this race of you know, people, they're not oligarchs, but they're, you know, the professional managerial class, which you've been talking about for a long time, as a real problem. And essentially, like, essentially, they're mostly not all, but, you know, like overeducated white liberals that live in places like Cambridge and Brooklyn. There's definitely people of of color in this group as well, for sure. They're going to be indexed at higher income levels, higher education levels. And these are the people, at, and they go, you know, I think the ones that want to fancy themselves as being more substantive, they do the Warren thing. Um, but a lot of them, I think, actually, that is the group that genuinely likes Pete. And I think that it really shows that there is this group, and it's bizarre because you think of the Republicans, like the Republicans have totally left Norman Rockwellville in a lot of ways. They're like, we are fucking, we're brown shirts, we're vulgarians, and then we're, you know, fucking like corporate criminals. And, you know, we listen to Trump do his riffs and we don't give a fuck, right? 
And then in the Democratic Party, you've got Bernie representing what's actually happening in the country and everything else. But I think what this P constituency is this this block of voters, and it's weird because they think of themselves as being the most smart, the most sophisticated, the most everything else, but they're children. They're the ones who are talking <laughs> about Harry Potter. They're the <laughs> ones who can't believe that, you know, I used to disagree with Lindsey Graham, but by golly, I can't believe, you know. Yeah, and yeah. and Pete's whole campaign, I mean, you could see it coming a mile away, like cutting Social Security, Medicare, like it's going to be horrible. It's going to be pure corporate anti-people, third wave vulture shit. But what he's really talking about is that fantasy. And, you know, the la um, there was a great quote I'll end on. I forget who said it, but, you know, in Marxism, they say, like, first is tragedy, then is farce. Mm -hmm. And somebody was like, post-economic crash, first is Obama, then is Buttigieg. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's it. <laughs> <laughs> you I'm know. really fascinated to see how his campaign chooses to deal with the coming weeks, right? Like, because again, I, I don't believe that they have a strategy. And like Nando just mentioned, um, the idea that this guy is going to uh, garner broad support within the coalition, um, it just you know it just seems laughable, man. Like this dude is just a freaking dork. Um, nothing substantive. And like, like you guys said, just to reiterate what Biden's like, dude, I've actually done stuff. <laughs> like, I've actually done stuff. You're the mayor of Whoville. Get out of here, bro. <laughs> and the Oscar goes to... Parasite. <laughs> Parasite has six Academy Award nominations and is the first film not in the English language to win Best Picture, winning four Oscars tonight. All right, so last night was the Academy Awards. We were recording this on a Monday, um, and we mentioned this at the top of the show, but Parasite won Best Picture. Bong Joon-ho won Best Director. Um, in a major upset, uh, everybody seemed to think that Sam Mendes in 1917 was going to you know, was basically going to sweep the Oscars because he was kind of killing killing everybody at every single other award shows. Um, but, you know, it was nice. Uh, Hollywood rarely, 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 rarely gets culture, right? Like, it's hard to overstate this, right? Um, but they got it right last night somehow, and it was really cool to see, right? Like, obviously, the guy made... It's the first time a foreign language pick won Best Picture, um... You know, obviously the guy's a Korean, a, a Korean cat. The movie's in Korean. Uh, he gave a dope ass speech a few weeks ago where he was like, yeah, "Look, man, don't let you know the subtitles or language barrier stop you from you know participating and enjoying some art and some culture." Um, and I think it's an uh, it's a important message, especially in the moment that we're in in America, right? Like, not to get too woke on everybody, but like, it's mm. important, man. Um, because the discourse has gotten so ridiculous. And a lot of times, guys, like, it's annoying that Hollywood oftentimes is the sort of spokespeople for a lot of the things that we're about, and they generally suck at it, right? Mm -hmm. um, so it's it's tough, right, that they're the ones that's carrying the torch for us out in the culture. Um, but, yeah, last night, you know, was a rare, dope moment that, that was able to be achieved at the Academy Awards, and I just thought it was fire. Yeah, I mean, I think 
Parasite was probably my favorite movie this year. And I think that the last time that my favorite movie of the year won Best Picture was probably No Country for Old Men in 2008. Uh, so, like, it's been a long time. Like, last year was Green Book. I mean, just laughable, you know. Um, so yeah. it was it was really good <laughs> to see that. And, and the other thing that's been strange is that Parasite, uh, despite being in Korean, was a massive box office success, not just in Korea and around the world, but here in the United States, I mean, it made a ton of money all around the world. Um, and it was, it was interesting. I mean, there was a, there was like a interview with Bong Joon-ho that went viral a couple of months ago where they asked about that. I was like, why do you think your movie has resonated so much with everyone around the world? And he was basically just cause like, you know, we, I made this movie about, you know, specifically about Korea and Korean culture. But, you know, at the end of the day, we all live in the same country called capitalism. And that's why people responded to it because it is one of the most explicitly, um, class oriented movies that I've seen in a long time in the mainstream in which, um, it, 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 it shows how class affects people, um, both in positive and negative ways and without sort of totalizing either, either one, right? Because in, in this movie, uh, you see like, you know, the, the, the working class characters are not always fully sympathetic. Um, you know, they, they, and they turn on each other and they fight each other and, and the sort of ruling class people are, they don't seem like monsters at the, you know, like they're, they're quite kind and they seem like very well-meaning earnest people, but they are, they are basically dominating and exploiting, um, the working class of a country who is, who are living, you know, in, in tents at, at, at the end of a massive flood. So it, 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 it was so, it was so thorough in its class analysis that it that it 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 almost is very heartening to see that kind of movie just take have so much of an impact in the culture all over the world. Yeah, I mean, I I would echo everything, and I and I think what it is too, specifically to Waz's point, is that it wasn't ninety five percent of Hollywood. If I had to pick a number, ninety eight percent is. You know, annoying, a, 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 <laughs> annoying, or like a gesture towards something that is important, like anti-racism, which is immediately inbuilt with either a massive contradiction to the sentiment itself, or undermined by some other contradiction. So, what was amazing to me about this was that they just picked the movie, like they hit a very important point that needed to be made. They freaked out. I noticed some fucking idiot from the blaze was freaking out that he accepted the award in Korean. <laughs> they hit all of those points and upset all of the worst people on earth. But it wasn't like, you know, I mean, let me just take like a really strong contrast not to like get into necessarily like I think this is just an old debate, but like. Black Panther, however you want to assess it, right, whether even just as like a movie or really, honestly, some very fucking mixed politics. You know what I'm saying? Like dog shit politics. Like very like mixed okay. is generous. <laughs> I mean, no, like straight up like CIA politics. Yeah. Like, yeah. So, so that's kind of what I'm saying. Like, the, you know, so, but of course, and then like, look, just even the the scale of making a movie like that on that budget with a black director and black uh, superheroes, no doubt that's important. I don't negate that. But at the same time, we see just these obvious, like, one, was this movie even good? As Waz says, no. Two, what are the actual politics here? And then three, the discourse today is crazy because it doesn't just, like, 
it, it doesn't just stop as like, okay, that's important. That's particularly important if you're in the film industry. It's part of this bigger conversation, this bigger issue of capital and who controls it and all of this and whether we want capital control us. But also that should be, you know, a 30 to one conversation relative to, uh, you know, economic policies or criminal policies or justice policies or environmental policies. Do you know what I'm saying? So like with picking this movie, they just managed to be like, we're going to, you know, this is against xenophobia. Yeah. You're going to listen to the man speaking Korean. If that upsets you, like, I don't, you know, okay, like go to a safe space. In fact, and at the same time, like this is the movie of the moment, you know, yeah. this is about what's happening everywhere. It's a global system. It's and a global just, pattern of extraction. It, and the other thing I I'll just, just say yeah, real yeah. quick is yeah. that it was yeah. so Marxist because it wasn't that morality play at the end of the day. It really was about systems and structures. And so that was important. Yeah. And I'll, I'll just say that when, when, you, when I look at a movie's politics, I don't decide whether I like a movie or not, yeah. whether I agree with their politics or not. Like I love plenty of right-wing reactionary movies. Like I love, uh, like Rambo. you know, I love, I love Rambo. I love, I love a lot of Clint Eastwood movies. I, I love, I love that movie dragged across concrete, which I don't know if you guys saw, um, that came out this or last year. That was just like, you know, like unbelievably right-wing, but it was actually, I thought it was a really good movie. You know, like I don't, I don't necessarily need to agree with the movie's politics to enjoy it as a piece of art, which is something that I think liberals often get in the trouble of doing. And then they also usually, read the politics incorrectly, which is also doubly frustrating. But, um, yeah. but yeah, I mean, it, it was, it was really heartening to see, um, to see something like this, like just, it, it was really like an explicitly Marxist movie, which is crazy. Like, it's just crazy to me to, that this was just a massive hit, um, and one best picture at the same time. Like it just doesn't make, it's like almost like a glitch in the matrix. Yeah. I've got nothing yeah. else. Oh, go ahead, Mike. Oh, just real quick too. I just also want to say like, I thought Joaquin Phoenix's thing was cool. Um, I thought it was very sincere. It honestly, I mean, I, look, I'm not going to become a vegan anytime soon, but it was like, you know what? I get it. Like, no, yeah, I mean, I love sure. I like the sentiment and also a lot. And it certainly is going to reflect in some of my decisions. I loved what he said about, uh, the cancer, cancel culture thing. God, I'm full of so much gratitude right now. Uh, and I do not feel elevated above any of my fellow nominees or anyone in this room because we share the, the same love that the love of film and this form of expression has given me the most extraordinary life. Um, I don't know what I'd be without it. But I think the greatest gift that it's given me and many of us in this room is the opportunity to use our voice for the voiceless. And I just think whatever else you think, it's very interesting to watch, you know, somebody on that platform who is really trying to work through things one way or another when so much of it is, you know, it is so dishonest and it is so scripted and it is so ridiculous. Um, you know, I don't know. I just, I appreciate what the guy is trying to do. Um, I think, especially given where he could be, um, I think he's, you know, talented person, solid. And I, I like the sincerity of it. I'm on yep. a sincerity kick right now. Yeah, I like the sincerity of it. You're showing your uh, age, well, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> nah, man, you guys, you guys hit it on the head, man. Um, all the everybody listening to, to this right now, 
um, Nando, he said it. This is an extremely Marxist movie. Um, you know, the, the the politics about class and capitalism are explicit in this movie. And if you're listening to this, you're probably dirty commie scum anyway. So you should want to <laughs> watch that movie. Go out and see Parasite. You know, support incredible art. Um, you know, I, you know, it was nice, man. There was some good news out of Hollywood last night. That was fantastic. That's our show for today. Again, make sure you get your tickets to the New York City Count the Dings live show at CountTheDings.com. TMBS Live, Mike, could you remind us of the date, please? North Door, Austin, Texas, April 3rd. Grab your tickets. Uh, links in the show notes, and you can also get information. Uh, on my Twitter or at tnbs.fm. All right, Fernando Vila, for Michael Brooks, I'm Big Waz. Um, we out.